0: If you have a Bible with, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 1. In light of Christ's kindness to us in coming as our Savior, we are going to reflect a little bit on his story through Matthew 1. We've been reflecting on the story of the gospel throughout this Advent season. We've seen that Advent is a season of waiting that's been designed to cultivate our awareness of God's actions, past, present, and future. And our goal during this season was to zoom out and see this grand story. The grand story of to be like him, to be with him, created us and put us in a garden with everything we needed. And yet, in our own sin, we turned away. Adam and Eve, our first parents, turned to themselves and brought curse On all of creation. But God made a promise. That he would one day send. An offspring who would crush. The head of the serpent. Who deceived Adam and Eve. And who would bring blessing. Instead of curse. We've seen that this is the story. That unfolds in all of scripture. This is what we celebrate. At Christmas. The fulfillment of that story. We've been mainly standing in the Old Testament. Looking. From. A time when God's people were seeking for the fulfillment of this story. When God's people were still asking, is this the one we're waiting for? Is this the time we've waited for? We saw two weeks ago from Isaiah 9. Charlie showed us that the answer to, is this the one? Is this the person I'm waiting for? Is better than we could have expected because the one we were waiting for was God's own son. And we saw last week through what Thad shared that God chose to bless his people even through the waiting, not just through the fulfillment. So we've been reflecting on that from the perspective of the Old Testament. Today I want us to reflect this Christmas Eve from the perspective of the New Testament, from the perspective of God's people who have experienced the coming of the promised offspring and are now looking back They're in more similar shoes to what we are. We're going to look at Matthew 1, verses 1-17 through to see the summary of this story of God fulfilling his promises. Would you look with me at Matthew 1, verses 1-17? to I'm going to read this genealogy for us. Matthew writes, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab the father of Nation. And Nation the father of Salmon. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse the father of David the king. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, And Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. And Abiud, the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor. And Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliud. And Eliud, the father of Elishaar. And Eleazar, the father of Mathen. And Mathen, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This story summarizes the fulfillment of God's promises for us. The whole Old Testament story is in here. You probably recognized many of the names in here. But most of us, when we think about a genealogy, don't think about a place to go for devotional reading or for encouragement or for practical application. But I hope to show you through three questions that this genealogy has much to enrich our hope this Christmas Eve. Three questions I want to ask. First question, why do God's people care about genealogies? Why does this matter? Why is this written in the scriptures? The Jewish people kept meticulous records of offspring. Why? Why did they do that? I believe the answer for us is in verse 1, how Matthew structures this genealogy. Look what he says in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And who does he highlight? The son of David. The son of Abraham. What unites David and Abraham. Is that both of them. Were promised something by God. Both of them received a promise from God. Abraham. If you'll remember from the stories we've already been talking about. Abraham was promised. That if he went and followed Yahweh. God would make him a great nation and God would bring blessing to his family and to all the families of the earth through him. But remember, Abraham struggled with that promise. Didn't he? Because God was going to bring blessing through his offspring. But guess what? Abraham's wife, Sarah was barren. She could not have any kids. And yet when Abraham went and talked to God and said, God, Eliezer will be my heir. I have no heir. I have no children. What did God do? He reaffirmed the promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. Didn't he? He said, no, through Sarah, should your offspring be named? Not, not through Eliezer, not through your extended family, but through your own children. How would God keep his promise to Abraham? It was through offspring, right? Through children. Think about David. Fast forward to the story of King David. We haven't talked about him as much in our Advent series. But David, after being given rest from all of the warfare, from all of the conquering that he was doing of the surrounding nations, after bringing peace to Israel and reigning as a good and righteous king, he wanted to build a temple for God. And he said, I'm going to build this house for you, O Lord. And the Lord responded through the prophet Nathan, No, I'm going to build a house for you. Listen to what he says to David in 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 to 13. He says this, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Those of you familiar with the story of David know that was fulfilled partially at least in Solomon, his son building the temple, right? But there was a greater aspect to this promise that echoes all throughout the old Testament, this promise of a King who will sit on the throne of David forever. And how will God do this? Through offspring. This is nothing new. This idea that God promises to bless his people through offspring. This is the same way he promised to bring blessing and overcome the curse even back in Genesis three, right? He said, I will put enmity between the serpent and his offspring and the woman and her offspring. He shall bruise your heel, but you'll crush his head right? The offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. God would keep his promise through offspring. And what is a genealogy, but a list of offspring, right? It's a list of children. So genealogies in the scriptures for us are lists of the way God is keeping his promises to his people. God's people care about offspring because that's how God has promised to bless his people. And so in Matthew, when he records this long list of offspring, he's recording God's faithfulness to keep his promise. He's recording it over and over and over again. When he says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, he's saying God kept his promise. As we read through this genealogy, we see a pattern to it that brings us to our next question. Look at verse 2. This pattern here. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. We see so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. Over and over, all the way through with little minor variations, but that's the main pattern that we see all the way down until verse 16. What do we see in verse 16? Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. We don't see Joseph, the father of Jesus. Why is that? Because who's Jesus' father? We know Jesus' father is is the father, right? Jesus is the son of God. His father is God the father, And so this genealogy is not actually recording Jesus's biological ancestry. So why would Matthew record this list of people, this list of offspring, and not the offspring, for example, of Mary, who is at least a biological parent of Jesus, right? Because Jesus was born of a virgin. He was not the biological child of Joseph the key to understanding why Matthew would record this list of people is found again in who he highlights. He is highlighting Abraham and he's highlighting David. And what do they have in common? They have in common this promise that God has made his people. What unites them is the fulfillment of that promise. This is why Matthew arranges this genealogy the way he does. And he points it out in verse 17, right? Verse 17, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This, didn't, this isn't just happenstance like, oh, it's lucky it's all 14s. God's trying to tell us something. This is actually Matthew arranging these genealogies this way. Because he doesn't mention every specific person. He mentions groups of people all the way through. So that it is arranged in 14, 14, and 14. And why would he do that? Because David, the name David, the consonants of his name in Hebrew make 14. What Matthew is trying to show us. Is that Jesus, through offspring, has fulfilled this promise that God made to David. And fulfilled this promise that God made to Abraham. Jesus, as the promised offspring, is united to them not by blood, but by the promise. That's what unites all of the people in this list. Is the promise of God. To Abraham to bring blessing through his family. And to David to bring a king who will reign righteously. This is the same concept that Paul talks about in Romans 9. He says it this way, reflecting on the same thing. Romans 9, verses 6 to 8, he says, It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. The children of the promise are counted as offspring. And who is the quintessential child of promise? It's Jesus Christ, right? He is the fulfillment of these promises. And so he is counted an offspring of Abraham, the true offspring of Abraham, the true son of Abraham and the true son of David. The one who fulfills these promises. And that is why Matthew is recording this genealogy. So it's a record of God keeping his promises. And it's united by this thread of promise keeping. And the way God chose to keep his promise. This genealogy structure brings us to our third question. What does this genealogy teach us about God's promise keeping? We see, first of all, in the way that God keeps his promises all the way through this. That God is zealous to keep his promises even in the face of hardship. Even in the face of incredible odds. It starts out with a promise of offspring to a man married to a woman who can't have children. Right? It starts off with Sarah's barren womb. And we see in the story examples like Tamar who becomes pregnant by Judah in a very uh, in a very unsettling way and is threatened with being killed because it looks like she was unfaithful when it was actually Judah that was unfaithful god delivers her even though there's a threat to this offspring we see examples like Ruth who is starving and destitute and has no hope and yet god welcomes her through the generosity of Boaz into the line of the savior continuing His promise of offspring. We see examples like David's line that's threatened by exile to Babylon. They didn't like extra kings hanging around. And yet still God preserves the life of his offspring. So that his line continues. The arrangement of this genealogy into both the extremely highs of Israel's history. King David and his reign. And extreme lows of Israel's history like the Babylonian exile being cast out of the promised land because of disobedience all through that. God is still working by his zeal to bring about his promises. Any, you dip into any point in this genealogy and depending on how things are going, it could have seemed like God was really at work or it could have seemed like he wasn't doing anything. But this is here written for our instruction to teach us that God zealously keeps his promises. Not only that, but the zeal of God to keep his promises is not dependent on the righteousness of his people. We see that in this list too. Because this list is full of people who are of questionable character. This list is full of people like the women in this list who are all foreigners. And would not have been welcomed in Judah and Judea. Who would not have been thought of as being part of the line of the Messiah, and yet they are. Not only that, but it's full of some good kings, but many evil kings. Take Ahaz, for example, who burned his own son in sacrifice to pagan gods. And Second Kings tells us made sacrifices to gods under every green tree out there. He was zealous about unfaithfulness, and yet God remained faithful to his promise. Even the good, relatively good apples in this list Are not without sin. Right? King David. The high point in Israel's history. Also committed adultery. And had the wife of his illicit lover murdered. Or the husband of his illicit lover murdered. David was kind of the high point. But still marred by sin. God remained faithful though. Because God. Even though he punishes unrighteousness continues in his steadfast love to keep his promises. That's what we see here, that his zeal to keep those promises did not depend on the faithfulness of his people, but it depended on God himself and his own faithfulness, which never fails. We see that in his keeping of his promise. This, friends, is what we need to remember this Christmas. This is still how God keeps his promises. This is what we reflect on When we think about the coming of Christ, because Matthew one here shows us how God kept his promises to bring his people into his family. And it teaches us how God keeps his promise to bring not just the line of Abraham into his family, but to bring blessing to the nation's. To bring even Gentiles into the family of God. See, this genealogy stops at Jesus. But Jesus was not the end of God's promise to these guys. He was the apex and the fulfillment. But flowing out from him brought many more into the family of God. Jesus, you see, was meant to be the firstborn among many brothers, right? God's plan was to make us like Him. To be holy like He is holy, we saw from Ephesians 1. And to be with Him, predestining us for adoption as sons. And that's what God accomplished through Jesus Christ. That's what we see in this genealogy, is that God's faithfulness to keep His promise extended all the way to Christ and continues. If we were to continue this genealogy, we would see... In this list, guys like Peter, John, Matthew, Paul, but also guys like Tertullian and Augustine and Luther and Calvin and Whitfield and Edwards, and we could follow it on down all the way to you and I. Across history and across the world, people from every tribe and tongue and nation find themselves a part of the offspring. Of the Messiah. A part of the family of God. Because God sovereignly by his grace keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. And that's what we remember at Christmas. That he gave us the assurance that he will keep his promise. In the son of God Christ Jesus. So that we could be children. Not of flesh and blood. But children of the promise as John says. Chapter 1, verse 12, to all who did receive him, this Christ, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. Glory to God in the highest, right? And peace on earth with those whom he is pleased. Let's pray.